You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. Unlike animals that are driven by instinct, man was originally designed to be governed by the Spirit of God. But when sin entered, the Holy Spirit vacated the human spirit, leaving men with no governing principle outside their own senses, emotion, intellect, and will. We wonder how people can do the things they do in our day because they're totally separated from God, totally detached, totally unplugged. Are you struggling with your identity? Are you stuck in a rut and don't know what to do to turn things around? In today's message, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that like Saul in the Bible, God wants to make you into a new creation. If you're yearning for real change in your life, the only way is through Him. The wisdom of self-help books and podcasts is fleeting and will never inspire the differences in your life that you want to see. Put your trust in God and grow into the person that you are meant to be. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Galatians chapter 5 as he begins his message, Abba, Father. Now, Galatians, Abba, Father. I love this part. Love the Word of God. Now, Galatians, let's recap a little bit. These passages in verses 4 and 5 are so important because it shows that our God is a God of timing. How many of you know that? Not just timing, perfect timing, exquisite timing, God timing. That's why there's a big difference between a good idea and a God idea. A God idea is brought by his timing. Now, it says, when the fullness of the time had come, Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, the phrase fullness of time is very, very powerful. When the time was perfectly ripe, the time which had been predicted all through the Old Testament, All through the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, David, Moses, all through the word of God, it had been predicted that God would send forth his son, but it waited for the fullness of time. God's answer waited for a timing. Now, the exact period had arrived when all things were ready for his coming. Now, I want to take a little brief scan through Bible history. We did this last time, but I want you to understand the word of God. I want you to know the word of God. So real quick, jaunt through Bible history to see exactly what the times looked like preceding and up to the arrival of Jesus Christ. Because when he was born, it was the fullness of time, the perfect time, God's time. So what led up to it? The Old Testament chronology goes something like this. The human race lived for 2,000 years under a curse brought by a woman. That's not a slam against women. It's just she ate, and then he he ate with his eyes wide open. She was deceived. Adam was in love. I don't know which is worse, right? But when she ate and they ate together, a curse came upon the human race. And then for 2,000 years, man after that lived under a curse brought by the law because the, the law revealed our sin. Christ has redeemed us from both the curse of the fall and from the curse of the law. 
Thank God for that. His advent took place in the fullness of time. Now, obviously, God had been in no hurry. From Adam to Noah, God allowed men to be led by or controlled by conscience to the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, He had said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, after they ate of that tree, they were led by conscience. But conscience terribly failed man. That's why the little phrase, let conscience, your conscience be your guide, is not a good one. Because your conscience can be programmed by the world where it's not bothered by things that bother God. Your conscience needs to be fine-tuned by the word of God. Think about that. Now, so he was controlled by conscience from Adam until Noah. Now the result was catastrophic as appalling wickedness covered the globe, resulting in the flood. Catastrophic. And I'm going to be talking uh, on a weekend sometime soon about as it was in the days of Noah and as it was in the days of Lot. Because, boy, folks, are these times that we need to understand. Now, after the flood, an age of government was inaugurated with God placing into Noah's hands the sword of capital punishment for capital crime. So he told Noah, here's the principle, Noah, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For the, in the image of God, he made man. So when you kill a human being, you're killing a creature made in the image of God. It's unlike any other thing God made. Now, this age stretched from Noah to Nimrod, when it again climaxed in a further eruption of lawlessness and another massive judgment at the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel was led by Nimrod. And so, from Noah to Nimrod, there was another leading up to Nimrod and the Tower of Babel, another massive judgment that God brought about. The human race was scattered far and wide following the confusion of tongues, carried with it the curse of idolatry as Nimrod's legacy. We're going to see that in Genesis, from Genesis 1 to Genesis 12, there were four epical events, four epic events, and they were the creation, the fall, the flood, the tower. Four epic events. Can we say them together? The creation, the fall, the flood, and the tower. And then you come up to Genesis 12, and and God pulls in tight on a man named Abram. And he begins working out the plan of salvation he predicted in Genesis 2, when he said, there's going to be a bruiser of Satan's head. There's going to be one born devil that's going to bruise your head, and you're going to bruise his heel. And Jesus' heel was bruised at the cross. Now, God broke in again, determined to begin all over again with another man, Abraham. Now we're at Genesis 12. The age of promise began, and God's primary focus became the patriarchal family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he begins to really share with us the biographies of their life. Now, next followed the migration to Egypt and the slow, steady decline of the Hebrew people into slavery to Egypt's government and compromise with Egypt's gods. Remember, they got into Egypt through Joseph. Joseph was led by God into into Egypt so that the, the 
um, messianic lineage would be spared because a great famine was coming upon the earth. God saw it coming, led Joseph into Egypt. He became second only to Pharaoh. And that little family of Jacob and his 12 sons mushroomed into a nation in 400 years, okay? But uh, they compromised with Egypt's gods. They, they didn't really know the Lord anything like Moses would know the Lord. Now, the arrival of Moses marked the beginning of a brand new day. Israel was liberated from Egypt, but once again, they degenerated into idolatry. Folks, man without God will always decline into idolatry because we're wired to worship. We're going to worship something. And if we don't worship the true and the living God, we're going to find something to bow to. Guarantee you. In response, God gave the law and he listed a catalog of curses into its demands. And the human family had failed. Now the Hebrew family failed. Not only did the human race fail in the days of Noah, but God's chosen people failed over and over and over and over again, chronically. They could not get it together. It's easy to trace the sad history of God's chosen people under the law. They degenerated into apostasy and immorality in the days of the judges. They experienced a partial revival under Samuel, then the dismal failure of King Saul, followed by an era bright with hope under David, but as with all things relating to humanity, it did not last. Now you say, well, that's kind of depressing, Pastor Jeff. All it's showing us is that we had to have a savior. We had to have a redeemer. We could not live under the law. Couldn't obey it. Couldn't do it. Now under Solomon, David's son, disastrous policies and horrific compromise with idolatry brought the nation down under God's judgment. The wise old King Solomon degenerated to a level that's hard to believe. He married too many women. He had 700 wives. That'd give any man a breakdown. <laughs> 700 wives. Can you imagine Valentine's? I'm kidding. There was no Valentine's. But that's a lot of women. And they were pagan. And God had told them, his people do not intermarry with pagans. Do not marry unbelievers. They will corrupt you. Same message today. If you're a believer and you're, and you're dating an unbeliever, Nip it tonight. End it. Say, Pastor Jeff, I'm in love. That's not a loving thing to do. You'll get out of love. Just end it. Because God is never going to tell you to marry an unbeliever. That's free. I might have saved you thousands of dollars in counseling right there. You don't even need to pray about it. If they're not a believer in Jesus Christ, there's nothing to pray about. Don't marry them. Don't do it. That's free. Everybody say amen. amen. Well, you're kind of gnarly when you're sick, Pastor Jeff. No, I'm not sick and I'm not being gnarly. I'm telling the truth. Amen. All right. But Solomon got to the place, it's hard to believe, this incredibly wise man, brilliant, a renaissance type man, got to the place where he built altars for children to be sacrificed in the red hot arms of Molech put his seal of approval on it. 
You wonder, how could he have possibly descended to such a place? Wrong relationships. That's how. With Solomon, a divided king with a divided heart, left a divided kingdom. And it split into the northern and the southern kingdoms. Northern kingdom was Israel. Southern kingdom was Judah. The northern kingdom uh, consisted of 10 of the 12 tribes. And they spiraled into such apostasy so fast that they were uprooted under God's judgment and marched away under the Assyrian captivity. They were totally wiped out. The southern kingdom of Judah lurched back and forth between good kings and bad kings, between obedience and apostasy, ultimately following its sister Israel into captivity. And you can read about that captivity in the depressing book of Lamentations. Okay? Seventy years later, they were freed from Babylonian captivity and given another chance under a succession of godly leaders. Yet, as always, decline set in again. And by the time of Christ, the Jewish religion was totally, completely, vacuously bankrupt, rife with hypocrisy and empty religion. And when the fullness of time finally came, Judaism was a dead religion of rite and ritual, form and ceremony, tradition, and crushing legalism. And what about the Gentiles, you and me, our folks? What about us? The Gentile world was equally, totally, spiritually bankrupt when the fullness of time arrived for, G for God to send Jesus. We were bankrupt, like our country is today. Bankrupt, vacuous, lost, blind, the blind leading the blind. Gentile world, when Jesus came, was totally bankrupt. They were weary to death of their own bankrupt religions based on a pantheon of ridiculous, warring, lusting gods made in the image of lusting, warring men. The Greeks, with all their high-sounding philosophers, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Thucydides, you can name them, and all their classical culture had come and gone and their philosophy led not one person to God. Then the Romans had come. They hammered into subservience. Everybody who decided to resist them, and they imposed a Roman peace on the world. It was only peace by force. It was not inner peace. It was peace by force. Their law was iron-fisted. They built magnificent roads on the backs of a nation of slaves. The Romans did. The Roman idea of a holiday was to assemble in the amphitheater to watch gladiators fight to the death or wretched prisoners fight with bare hands against wild beasts to the accompaniment of the howls and the cheers of a blood-maddened populace. They had nothing on us. Violence ruled the day. To watch somebody torn to shreds by a wild animal was entertainment when Jesus came on the scene. The fullness of time. Such was the fullness of time for the arrival of Christ. The world was morally and spiritually bankrupt. It was ripe for God to move. Amen? And move he did. Because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we can be called, say it with me, sons of God through adoption into the family of God. Now, verse 6, he says, and because you are sons... God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, 
crying out. Say it with me. Let's try it better than that. You know, when my kids were little, oh, those were the days. When my kids were little and I'd walk into the house, they'd come running up towards me. Can we just hold our arms up towards the Lord? And I want you to say, Abba, Father. Now say, Daddy. Daddy. Isn't that good? Because that's what it is. Give the Lord a hand. That's good. It's not, it's not a religion we're in. It's a relationship. All right? Crying out, Abba, Father. This one verse shows what 1,500 years of law could not do for a lost son of Adam's ruined race. The law could not make us sons of God. But Jesus did. The regenerating work of the Holy Spirit is what puts the believer into the family of God. This sonship was always God's plan. This is why Adam was called the son of God in Luke 3.38. Because originally it was God's intention that every human being on earth was his child. God gave to man something he did not give to any other of his creatures, a spirit. Unlike animals that are driven by instinct, man was to be governed by his spirit. You have a spirit, and that spirit is eternal. You've already begun eternal life. The minute you got saved, your eternal life began. The spirit in you is eternal. I hate to say it. I've searched the scriptures. Dogs don't have one. Rabbits don't have one. Birds don't have one. Now, Pastor Jeff, are you telling me my dog's not going to be with me? Whatever it takes to make you happy, you will have it. But you're unique because God gave you, says he breathed into man, and man became a living soul. Unlike animals that are driven by instinct, Man was originally designed to be governed by the Spirit of God. But when sin entered, the Holy Spirit vacated the human spirit, leaving men with no governing principle outside their own senses, emotion, intellect, and will. We wonder how people can do the things they do in our day because they're totally separated from God, totally detached, totally unplugged, don't know him have none of his life in them, and you never will until you come to him through Christ. When a person turns to Christ, God's original plan is restored. That person is cleansed from his sin, and the Holy Spirit once again takes up residence in his human spirit. Isn't that beautiful? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and all has become new. All looks new. All is new because you're a new creation. Paul says, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. And so we cry out. Let's say it again. Abba, Father. We say this because at that moment, we are literally birthed by God. Right then, the minute you're saved, and the Spirit comes to live inside of you, you are God-birthed. He is literally your daddy. We are born again. Now, the word Abba, out of Abba Father, it's an Aramaic word found only here. 
and in Mark 14, 36, and Romans 8, 15. So it's only found in three places in the word. It was a word that was forbidden to household slaves when they would refer to the head of the family. If you were a slave, you could not say to the head of the family, Abba. It was for only children, only the children, only the real flesh and blood children. This reminds us that under the law, we were likened unto slaves. Abba is the word that flows from the lips of a small child. It was the Old Testament equivalent of the English word daddy. Daddy. Father. You know when Jesus started using that word father, it was brand new. People would look at him and say, say what? Father? He's God. No, he's your father. And it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's your father. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He taught us to view God as daddy, father. Now the next word, father, is from the Greek word meaning provider, protector, and supporter. It was the Lord's favorite word for God. He taught us to pray the Lord's prayer. Let's, let's say it together real quickly. Our father who art in heaven, the Holy Spirit sent forth into our hearts teaches us to use these two words, Abba, Father, Abba, Daddy. And that means he's going to care for you. He's going to protect you, as the word means. He's going to provide for you. He's going to support you. He knows what you need. He knows where you are. He knows the battles you're fighting. He knows the bills you've got to pay. He knows the questions you need answered. God knows. He's your daddy. He's your father. Trust him. Amen? He taught us to use, uh, I'm sorry, Paul adds in in verse 7, therefore, you are no longer a slave, but you're a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We are no longer slaves under the law, but we are sons under grace. Thank God. Now, next, Paul turns to their betrayal of the gospel of grace. Now, remember, the Galatians had begun to defect. Paul's shocked. He can't believe it. He led these people to Christ, taught them the message of grace, and in his absence, Judaistic teachers have come in, and it began to seduce them away from the simplicity that is in Christ. And to me, the strongest verse in the whole book, the strongest phrase It's only four words. Who has bewitched you? What spell have you come under, he says to the Galatians? Having begun under grace, are you now complete, made complete under the law? He said, what's the matter with you? What are you thinking? Where have you been? How did this happen so easy? Have you ever known somebody you want to look at them and say, who has bewitched you? If, if I could talk to the whole nation of America, I would look right in that TV lens and I would say, who, America, has bewitched you? Having begun in God, do you now finish in humanism? I could go on, and Kathy knows I could go on and totally leave the rest of this and preach the rest of the night about our country, but I can't. I'm here to teach Galatians. But, but you got to wonder, who has bewitched the American people? Having been blessed by God in the beginning, given the greatest nation on the earth, now we kick God out of every public arena. 
tell him we don't need him, and we wonder why or where he was when children are slaughtered in schools. Excuse me, didn't we ask him to leave? When's the last time that you truly felt part of a family? We all have different types of family, whether it's biological or otherwise. But when's the last time you felt accepted simply for who you are? Today, we learn from Pastor Jeff that if you want to experience the wonders of a family that will always love you, no matter what, you need to let God's perfect love wash over you. Stop pretending that you can tackle everything on your own and let God be your benefactor. You've been listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Would you be interested in helping support this ministry as we further the gospel? All you have to do is text 817-484-4767 and enter the word GIVE to donate. We are so grateful for your continued support in listening to this program and also investing in the ministry. Once again, text GIVE to 817-484-4767 to GIVE. It's safe to say that we've all felt rejection at one time or another. It doesn't matter if it's a family member or someone we didn't know, being turned down stings us to our core. In his next message, Pastor Jeff explains that if you want a mentor and friend who will never let you down, you need to let Jesus be your guide. His perfect love will never hurt you like the fake love of this world does. Change the trajectory of your life and accept God's free gift of grace. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in for this edition of Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. You can listen to more messages from this and other books of the Bible by visiting hardwired.org. Join us next time to continue our study in the book of Galatians right here on Hardwired.